Hello, welcome to the Scotch and Smokes podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Seth. And Jesse's not here this week. He's on vacation, going to see Bruce. This is a podcast about Mad Men. You can find us on the web at madcast.net. You can find us on Facebook if you look up Scotch and Smokes podcast, and also on iTunes. For this episode, we're going to be talking about the episode Signal 30. So do you have any beginning Open comments? Remarks. Open yeah, remarks? Yeah, sure. Well, this was quite an episode. It might have been the best one of the season. It had so much going on. I mean, it's so hard to recap it. But I guess the thing that struck me was that it's all about, again, the same sort of theme that the show has had over and over and over again, but does it so well. People trying to be who they're not and being pretty miserable in the life that they have, even though materially they're doing quite well. I mean, Pete Campbell is doing quite well uh, materially. He has a beautiful wife. He's got a nice home. He's got a couple of kids, or at least he has one kid <laughs> yeah. and one on the way, I think. He, has, and, well, um, he, he does have a couple of kids. One's by Peggy and one's by Trudy. So. Well, oh, <laughs> I, that's not what I meant. No, but okay. But good point. And he's got all these things. He's got the house uh, in the suburbs. He's got everything that Don Draper had in season one, although he has a better wife. I mean, Trudy's a much smarter, savvy, understanding woman than Betty was. Compassionate, Trudy's, sympathetic. Yeah, Trudy's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with Trudy's looks at all. No, not uh, at all. Although Pete uh, finds things wrong with her looks. I mean, as he said in one of the episodes, you know, there's a point where she would never go out of the house in a robe, and now she does, so... But Pete's unhappy. Roger is, quote, miserable, according to Don, in the cab at the end. Lane, as we see, is not a happy camper. His wife is not happy to be in the United States. And Lane is also concerned about his job and his job security. He, he thinks anybody could do his job, or he certainly thinks Joan Holloway can do his job. I'm going back to Holloway instead of her married name, because <laughs> uh, she's. we guess she's in the process of divorce and she's back in the office without sort of any comment i thought was kind of interesting that there she is right back running the partners meeting and she's back in the office and there was no no yeah. comment yeah it. sort of like how bert showed up again after yeah not having any interesting. introduction it's like yep, you're back. interesting so i guess i guess my, this is a very long-winded way of saying people are not happy people are making as ken cosgrove's fictional story about the bridge they're making bridges i mean lane's trying to make a bridge into accounts pete's trying to make a bridge into the shorts of a high school girl in his driving class (laughs) ken is still trying to do his writing on the side and don of course the the ironic thing about this episode is that don is apparently is i don't want to call him a changed man but Boy, has he changed with his new marriage, and, and it is the beginning of a new marriage, so he is, quote, in the honeymoon period still, but boy, he's faithful. He lectures, sort of lectures Pete, even though he says he's not lecturing him. That's interesting. You know, three guys go, four guys go to a house of prostitution, and Don Draper sits at the bar and drinks. Right. doesn't join any of the women. Now, of course, he mentions that he grew up in a whorehouse. Right. Well... We know he was born in a whorehouse. How he grew up there, we do not know, I don't believe. Right. Unless, I don't know, maybe his father took him there. I don't know. Maybe they sent him back there at some point. I don't know. But that was an interesting comment. It was interesting that he shared it with the madam. It was interesting that he shared his 
farm upbringing at Pete's dinner party. I mean, these are things that Don does not do easily. Right. Well, this was a very Pete-centric episode, but there were some bits of Don in it, and I guess we'll get to those first before we do jump over to the whole Pete section. And you have brought up already the apartment with all the prostitutes, and it is a question of how much of his reluctance, it wasn't reluctance, it was like a complete avoidance of Right. Any kind of contact with any of them was it that he feels completely faithful to Megan. How much of it also was that he was remembering that childhood that he had? Yeah. And exactly. uh, was it a combination of the two? Was there one, one more than the other? But he does seem like he's, was it the last episode where they went to the Stones concert? You know, there was that young fan uh, yeah. that was chatting him up and he was, yep. you know, in the past he might have been just like, okay. And, and this is where the show, there's certain threads that not just in a single episode, but cross over from other previous episodes. And this episode, Pete is going after the high school girl. In a previous episode, a high school girl was sort of flirting with Dawn. And mm-hmm. you see the two different reactions and the different uh, yeah. ways they handled that. And he Good was, he, he didn't want to pursue anything with that. And he kind of made that clear. And again, he, like you said, he does seem like he's a bit of a changed person. At the dinner, uh, like you said, he brought up the farm. And there was that one line where they talk about the sniper at the one university. Right. The one character goes, oh, that Charles Whitmore. And he corrects her and he says, Whitman. Whitman. Which yes, is, which that, is yeah. his last, real last name. Yeah, it was great. Again, that's something he's not afraid to even say his true last name mm-hmm. among these people. So yeah. I thought that was telling as well. Another right. thing I found interesting was that this is another change where in a couple instances during this episode, women were telling him what to do. Yes, the absolutely. Trudy was not taking no for an answer. Right. Megan was saying, you're going to take right. the call. I'm not going to call her up. I'm, right. This and, is for you to do. And you're going to change your suit into a sport coat. And you're going to change. And he did it. Thank God that sport coat was hideous, oh, but okay. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was hideous. You can kind of see why he's reluctant to change into some of these outfits yeah. because they, they do just look awful. That was terrible. That's an interesting point you make there, Brian, because I think it's trying to show, I think they're trying to show the rise of women at this point in America's history that women previously were, I mean, Trudy was laying down the law there yeah. for Pete and for and even for Don. And Megan, as we commented last week, Megan, I thought it was Megan's episode last week. I mean, where she sort of said, Don, you go home, feel better. No smoking. You know, I mean, she she was laying down the law. And God, I mean, that wasn't the deal with Betty. A, a little bit, but, you know, really, it's just, I think, showing that things are changing for women and men in relationships at that point. I think that's what he's trying to show there. You know, the thing that I also noticed was Pete. I mean, this is, of course, this was really Pete's episode in many ways. Poor Pete. I mean, he, to be pitied as well as to be ridiculed, he wants Don's approval. He wanted to be Don. He is Don now. But now Don's moved on. Don's seen, I guess, seen sort of the errors of his ways. I don't know if you could say that, but he's moved on a little bit. Although I am not convinced that Don is truly faithful. I'm not. 100% sure. Obviously, Megan's got his number. She's a very, very sexy woman, and he likes that. He likes her at home. He likes her at work. He likes her in the parked car, and she knows how to use it. And this is in a way, I think, that Betty never really did. In a previous season, he had Mm -hmm. an affair with, and I'm trying to remember which one it was. I don't know if it was like his 
the owner of the retail store. You're Rachel Mecton. Or yes. if it was sort of the bohemian artist. Or, oh, yes. Or if it was yet another one, which I can't remember. The school teacher. There's a school teacher, right? But there was Abby. one that he, at one point, or she, I can't remember who the, what the detail was, but yeah. proposed that, you know, we just go away and we, we start over. That was the school teacher, yeah. Uh, was it or was it? I thought it was the re... Um, well, there, there were a couple of them. I mean, it, and he, well, he also proposed to the bohemian artist. He said, I've got two tickets to Paris. Let's go. Yeah. Because I do think when he finds somebody he's comfortable with, it seemed like he was willing to be with them. But for some reason, he was held in check. And with Megan, he doesn't have to be in check because he has what he needs. He has a oh yeah. He has a family. He has his job. He has his where he lives. He has the beautiful woman and the someone who's he relates to on some level. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you know in the past it didn't work out with whatever conquest that he had, maybe falling for this other conquest. But he realized he couldn't make it work. But now Megan became the conquest that he actually got, and maybe he is truly happy. Maybe he will be a, totally a, a changed person. I'm not convinced of that, but... Okay. I'm not either, but it, it's something to keep us guessing, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just not convinced of that, but... Yeah, I think there was a lot of humor in this episode, too, even though there's a lot of seriousness. I mean, when Pete says to Don in the elevator toward the end, I have nothing. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, he says that in the cab, right, I think. I have nothing. And Don says, Pete, you have everything. And he says, Don, I have nothing. I mean, that was a sad, sad line. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot of humor in this episode, too, not the least of which is having chewing gum on one's <laughs> It's yeah. a great line. Yeah. And, of course, then the, the younger guy who sort of takes away uh, the girl that Pete is very interested in at driving class, and his name is Hanson, but, of course, <laughs> she says, you're handsome. And he says, yeah, that's me. And then Pete has to find out. The guy's name is Hanson, not handsome, but he <laughs> happens to be quite handsome right and poor pete you know he doesn't get the girl but he gets the hooker later and he wants the hooker to call him king he loves to be respected and that's because he can't really earn respect elsewhere in his life he just is so awkward with people at times that he can't really earn that respect although certainly peggy olsen still i think carries a torch for him Hmm. Yeah, that was a bit of nice dialogue, too. Humorous as well, when she's giving him his different roles that she can play in uh, the bedroom for oh, him. Yeah. And he's like, nope, nope. Yep. And then, okay, that'll work. <laughs> and, and I thought there was a nice moment there where Roger Sterling was giving advice on how to hook a client hmm. to Lane and how how to do it and how to pretend like you're drinking a lot, but you're not really drinking mm-hmm. a lot and listen to his problems and say you have the same problems. It just didn't work out, though, at that dinner. I mean, Lane followed all the advice, but it just didn't work out. I mean, in a way, Lane, his inability to do that sort of task is a bit of a mirror to what Pete wants to do. Pete wants respect, but he can't get it, even though he's doing all the right things. Lane wants to be a contributing member, but he just doesn't know what to do, and he doesn't do it correctly, and he's sort of like relegated to this back role. And that way they're similar, although they go about it in different ways. Right. Uh, I just want to point out one other thing about the fight between Lane and Pete, which I just thought was a little bit fantastical. I mean, I, I don't know of any office setting where they would actually let people, two businessmen, fight <laughs> like that. But okay. I liked when Pete said, and this may just 
totally be of the wrong interpretation, but I'll give it anyway. When Pete said, this is an office, he says in the, in the elevator after mm-hmm. the fight, the dining says, this is an office. We're supposed to be friends. Right. Yeah, I made a note of that because for me, that sums up in many ways Pete's lack of understanding about his own character. I think he is very ambitious, and he's, as Lane says, a grimy little pimp. He will step on people and treat them like shit, basically. Right. And then at the end of the day, when someone says, I'm not going to take this from you, you grimy little pimp, and then they smack him in the nose, he's like, what'd you do that for? Yeah, exactly. And I think that summed up his whole character, because he doesn't realize he's being a total ass half the time. Right. The point I wanted to make about the friends part, we should all be friends here in the office, is that right after that, the end credits, even though, unfortunately, AMC cut them off pretty quickly to show highlights for next week, the music, I always like to listen to the mm-hmm. end music. Well, the end music here was the opening bars of the final movement of the Beethoven Ninth Symphony, the famous right. Ode to Joy right. Symphony. And the first word, it's a vocal symphony. It was actually the first vocal symphony ever written. The first word sung in German is Freunde, which is friends. Wow. So I thought they were trying to sort of show back to Pete about friends and then how important that word was. Although we never heard any vocal, right. uh, we didn't hear any part of the, the Beethoven Ninth vocal part, but that is the first word. It's Freunde, and the, the baritone really sings it long. He really makes it a dominating word. Well, that's interesting. I was wondering why they chose that particular piece. I understood why they chose the orchestral classical piece because of him playing it at his dinner party. Right. right. But right. you bring up that makes it make a lot of sense that they chose yeah. it for that. So, yeah. interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I could be I mean, totally it, wrong. it could be, but it's a good theory. I, I think I like that a lot. The poem that, that Beethoven set the music to is by a guy named Schiller. It kind of echoes what Pete was saying. It's it's kind of a this man who's singing it is saying, you know, friends, friends, let's be friends. Let's raise our voices in more pleasing and joyful sounds. Joy, joy, this kind of thing. So instead of talking about bad things, let's talk about friendly things and good things, which is what Pete was trying to say there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's just a little classical music bit uh, <laughs> that I can bring in here. Yeah, for Pete, this episode, he was just completely found at every turn that he was encountering someone who was one-upping him, or yeah. Don goes and fixes his faucet. Yes, oh, great scene. The high school girl ends up falling for the guy, for Hanson, who thinks that Pete is the instructor, which, again, Mm -hmm. is another slap because, again, Don just had his 40th birthday, and yet he still has the attention of all the women who, you know, they're like, oh, Superman and the the girl from the the concert. And Pete is obviously younger, but he's just not physically a match for him. And the line from the prostitute where she says, can you lift me? Yeah. It's totally going to make him think of the biceps of that guy. Yeah. And he's just constantly reminded that he's just inferior in so many ways to these other men. And of course, the whole drain scene was terrific. I mean, when Don took off his shirt and went underneath the uh, sink, I mean, those women were, were they were salivating. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was funny. I mean, it was a funny, funny scene how he did that. And then even Megan in the car said, one of the only reasons you're getting lucky now is because... I really love the way you fixed that faucet. <laughs> and I think part of that was because she liked the fact that the other two women were salivating. Yeah. It was quite clear. When Pete fixed the faucet himself there that night, and it was just dripping, 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 
and he took out tools and he played around with it. And I thought, I don't think that's the way to fix that. That to me looked like a washer problem. And, and he was working. I thought, well, that, that, I just thought in the back of my mind, eh, it doesn't look like he did a good job. Hmm. And then, yeah, we found that he didn't. The transition, I guess I could talk a little bit about the direction of this episode oh, yeah. because it was directed by John yeah, Slattery, Slattery, and yeah. I thought he did a really good job. He did. I know there's people that didn't care for this episode because it was Pete-focused, they want everything to be Don, or they don't like the character or what have you, but I think the writing in this episode was really strong. You mentioned the Roger advice that he gave, and there's just many lines that were really memorable in this one, and I'll bring up some of those later. But I thought direction was really good. It was, again, there were some shots and transitions that were different, but not enough that they were so glaring. There's a transition where there's a fade from Pete to Pete. He was standing in one location, and then it faded to him in a different location, a different time of day. It was just an interesting transition that uh, it felt right, editorially. And then there was another transition when Don and Megan are in the car after the party, and the camera tilts up and kind of goes up past the roof, and it fades into a shot of the desk with a continuing track of the camera moving up. And I was like, wow, that's also an interesting shot. Yeah. So those are interesting. And then also just the overall framework of, like you mentioned, the dripping of the faucet. The very beginning of the episode where they're watching that driver's ed movie, Signal 13, which is the infamous kids die in car wrecks film. He's watching the girl in front of him and his gaze goes and the camera follows it down her body all the way to her foot. And the tap of her sandal as she's sitting there bored matches the beat of what then audibly changes to the sound of a drip. Yep, 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 that was clever. The very end of the episode, there's just a very subtle bit of uh, a drip at the end as well, where you yep. just know it's all this is still playing in his mind. One thing I thought was a key line, which was not delivered by any of the principal characters, but it was by the teenage girl, was mm-hmm. when she was saying how she's finding life is speeding up, how mm. things are moving quicker now. For a a non-regular character to say that, it's almost as if, and then she's not of many years, but she had this sort of sage advice and the sage mm-hmm. sort of philosophy, and that stuck with me a little bit. And it does make me think if this is somewhat a commentary on how things are overall going at Sterling Cooper, Draper Price, that things are becoming quicker and the way things are happening in their lives. Like, mm-hmm. I think Pete is finding that I already have a kid, I already have this house, how did I get here so fast and how did I end up yeah. where I'm not happy? Roger, same thing. He's not happy and miserable. miserable. And they brought up the gun again from, was it season one or two that Pete has? Oh, yes, yes. The and, wedding gift. And yeah. like, this is another one of those foreboding things yeah. that literally the gun on the mantelpiece from a checkoff plate it's yeah. there and it's like well, you brought that up and just again going back to earlier episodes where they talked about people on ledges people just hanging on you get a sense again that there's something tragic might be lurking yeah. for somebody and, and what means it's going to be i don't know but it just seems like someone is being primed for them to break mentally yeah and of course i bring up the point that i made i think last week or the week before and that is in the opening of the show. The man is, is falling down from the top of the building. Of course, we assume that's Don. Well, maybe it's Pete. Right. And it's funny, when you mention the gun, the shotgun, that I think Pete exchanged for the chip and dip um, <laughs> as a wedding present. When he was moving into Harry's old office in, what, in the first episode of this season, you remember Hildy, his secretary, bringing in his belongings in a cardboard box, 
and the gun was sticking out. Of yeah, it. it was. Yeah. Yeah. So again, so, this has made its presence twice now yeah, in two episodes. That's a good point. I like that point, Brian. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, let's see. There's several funny lines and memorable lines in this one. I have a, a few nominations for like the line of the ahead. episode. And yeah. most of them have to do with the fight because the fight, I mean, yeah. it was comical in, in its own way. Roger's line was, am I the only one that wants to see this? I thought that was <laughs> funny. Yeah. And then at, after the fight, Roger again, don't know about you two, but I had, I had, I had Lane. But I think the winner for the line of the episode goes to Bert Cooper, who goes, reschedule the meeting. Uh, <laughs> that was a f- really funny. Yeah, but wasn't didn't Ken Cosgrove, when somebody told him about the fight, and, or I think Peggy said, oh, you know, Pete just got the shit kicked out of him by <laughs> by Lane, and, and Ken goes, oh, he beat me to it, or yeah. something like that. And then uh, you know. another good line, too, was, was Joan after, we didn't yeah. even talk about this, yeah. Lane kiss kissing Joan. Joan, which you saw coming, basically. I mean, yes. Yes. They framed certain shots with them sitting together on the couch in a certain way, and you can always tell yeah. that one character is having thoughts yeah. of another. And sure. it was inevitable, I thought, that he was going to try to kiss her. And yep. but her response was beautiful. Was just it? it was graceful. I mean, it really was. Her yeah. she got up without a comment, but opened the door, but then sat back yeah. down and was just kind to him and basically saying, you know, he's like, I'm so embarrassed. I've done some, you know, what more can I do today? And she's like, Why? Yeah, what did you do? You didn't do anything. Yeah, everyone wants to have beaten Campbell up or something like that. So right, I right, thought that was a very right, graceful right. thing oh, to say, absolutely. and it was a very good line. Joan is sort of a, a mix of between graceful and practical. She knows how to play the game. You never really know where her heart is. I mean, it's kind of hard to know. She keeps her heart, uh, I think, very well concealed. Mm-hmm. So was she being nice to Lane because she likes Lane and she just realized he made a mistake? Or was she being nice to him because that's how the game is played in her version of office politics? I don't, mm. I don't know. Or it could have been a combination. Yeah. Of I do think uh, she's sympathetic towards him. Are you surprised that it was Lane and Pete squaring off and not Roger and Pete? Well, yes, a little bit, of course, because it was sort of building up to Roger and Pete. But um, I think we discussed last week on the call here that a kind of a, a cool technique in script writing is to have characters who don't interact very much interact. And, you know, Pete, while Pete and Lane have interacted over the course of the show, you expected Roger and Pete to be fighting, right. not Lane. Now, I mean, Lane is the the calmest, probably most nonviolent person you could find in that office. So it was kind of a cool surprise that he did that. Remember, Roger did call out Pete at one point and said, you want to go outside and settle this whole thing about the office, moving the office to Harry, you know, moving into Harry's office. Actually, Pete wanted Roger's office. And Pete stood down. He said, no, I don't want to to fight. So Roger had his try, and he didn't get there. So, no, I thought it was a cool thing. But, yeah, it was a good good surprise. I agree. Yeah. I guess it does show that a couple things. Number one, Pete has a lot of people that he's pissed off and that a lot of people are frustrated. Roger's frustrated. Lane is frustrated. So the two of them, although they're frustrated for different reasons, all the characters, like you mentioned at the very beginning, are in some way not satisfied. And mm. so it could have easily been Roger, but it was, it ended up being lame. And of course, you know, you're talking about not really knowing what's going on here. I believe we spied Joan's wedding ring still on her finger when Lane kissed her. Maybe she hasn't told anybody in the office. Mm, possibly. It's possible. It could be. That's a 
a way of her just keeping people from either asking questions or just keeping them generally away. Yeah, I mean, the men in the office. Yeah, she's got to be very embarrassed about it. I mean, she's kind of a very proud, some would say arrogant person, you know, sort of prances around the office. And I'm guessing that she hasn't told anybody. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be embarrassing. And one final comment about the fight for me is that I find on this show they do a good job of not overselling the action or the impact of a fight. You don't hear like a lot of, you know, even back in another season when Don was just really drunk and Duck was in his office and he went to swing at Duck. He missed and Duck hit him and he fell down. I mean, the sound of the punch is like, it's really, it doesn't sound what we're used to having watched a bunch of action movies and a bunch of other TV sure. shows. It's, it's very subdued and just like, sure. it seems to lack a lot of oomph behind it, but that's really kind of how it goes. Sure. And so yeah, I, no, I, that's right. I appreciate that they do make it somewhat sound realistic and just the right. the sound of it is... Well, now, if you're interested in fighting, if you watch the season just concluded on stars of Spartacus Vengeance or Revenge, I forgot what it's called, but man, they use a lot of blood in that show. God, <laughs> they use so much theatrical blood. <laughs> People are getting chopped up, you know, it's off sword play. They chop off heads. Oh, it's just... Hmm. So if you're really interested in some violence, it's quite a good display of violence. Hmm. Do we want to talk about Ken and Peggy's pact? Yes. Another thing that which seems to have come out of the blue and was just sort of told yeah, ex totally post facto is, is like we yep. found about it through their dialogue, but nothing we'd seen previously. Yeah, no, that's it's kind of interesting that he and Peggy have this pact. We did not. They seem to work well together. They worked on, I believe they worked on a commercial in earlier seasons, but... I didn't see that these two had a particularly strong relationship, but apparently they do. All right. Well, do you have any final comments as we wrap up this one? Yeah. Are people friends who work in offices, or are they just put together there and they have to live with each other? Arguably, they live closer together and longer than people live at home with their wives and their kids. I mean, people are working constantly. So it's kind of an interesting question to think, are you friends with the people in your office, or you are just sharing the same bits of carpet uh, <laughs> for 40 hours plus a week. What do you think? Well, like I said, I think it was just uh, him being clueless about how yeah, he sure. interacts with other people. Yeah. And um, yeah. there's so much yeah. dynamics going on relationship-wise with all the characters. Like either they hate someone they work with or they secretly are pining for them in yeah. a romantic way. That's or That's true. Or they're trying to subvert them so that they don't take their own job, or they're trying to get a leg up, and it's complicated. It's it's so much more than what Pete seemed to think it is, although he's playing the game and doesn't seem to understand that. Yeah, all right, so I'm going to ask you, we can end with a question. Mm -hmm. When they woke up the baby, or when the, the commotion over the faucet woke up Trudy and Pete's baby, and Trudy brings out the baby and everybody sees the baby... Don really is beaming at that baby. Mm -hmm. I mean, Don rarely, John Hamm rarely smiles like that. Do you think that is a foreshadowing of what he and Megan are going to be up to later this season? I'd, Will there be a Draper baby in the fifth season? I do think so. I think that okay. plus their post-party romp in the car. He was very drunk about it, but maybe that made him more honest and uh so I think that could be an intention. The question is whether she's going to want that because she's still, she wanted to learn the business and be in the business. Right. And I don't think she's quite interested yet in being just a mother. So we'll see. And, and part of it might have to do with how some of the other characters react. Like Peggy, she gave up her baby. When no one seems to know right. about it except for Dawn and maybe a few other people. But mm -hmm. at some point they have a 
Megan and Peggy talk to each other and maybe Peggy reveals something about how, you know, this happened and she got on with her life. And then there's the opposite side of it. There's Joan who had a baby. She's back at work. So Megan might be observing a lot of things and maybe just making a decision and we'll see how that fits in. And talking about learning the business, Megan learning the business, we again saw Megan, I think, taking advantage of the fact that her husband is Don Draper and she's sitting in Don's office typing in one of the scenes. Right. Uh, I, I still, as I said in the first episode, our first call about the first episode, I don't like the fact that she's working there. It just seems to me to be a disaster waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. Lots of potential disasters in that office for yes. sure. All right. Well, I think that's a good wrap-up of this episode. Okay. Thanks, everyone, for listening and subscribing to our podcast. Again, it's Scotch and Smokes. You can find us on iTunes and on Facebook, and our website is madcast.net. For Jesse, who should be back next week, uh, Mm -hmm. thanks again for listening, and bye-bye. And the bar is open. And the bar is open. Yes, thank you. All right. Ich bin der Mann,